Back to Redfalls, you're listening to another episode of Left for Dread, the horror podcast for everyone from newbies to fanatics. We are not a spoiler-free podcast, so make sure you've seen the movie or movies we're talking about before you listen. I'm one of your hosts, Rye. And I'm your other host, Chris Caligari. Step right <laughs> up, presenting for the first time, Cesare, the, somnambul- <laughs> the somnambulist, the miraculous Cesare. 23 years old. He has slept for 23 years continuously, day and night, right before your eyes. Cesare will awaken from his death-like trance. Cesare, can you hear me? Cesare, I am calling you. I, Chris Caligari, your master, awaken. For a moment from your dark night and see. Okay, so we're doing So this is our one hundredth episode, so we decided to do a movie that came out a hundred years ago. So we're doing <laughs> We're doing the cabinet of Dr. Calgary from nineteen twenty one. It's fucking iconic and I have so Chris and I almost always text each other about movies that we watch for the podcast. And especially if it's a movie that I've seen before that I like or love, I get very nervous if Chris hasn't seen them. I haven't seen this because I'm an uncultured swine. (laughs) No, you're not uncultured swine. I am going to sound like such a pretentious dickhead during this movie because I I didn't go to film school. I want to know. I didn't I, go I, to I, film school, but I stu- I was a film major, so I saw this movie like five times in five different classes. Right, I'm a hundred percent ready to learn all of German expressionist film in less than an hour. <laughs> uh, and, and honestly, like, because like, uh, you know, going into well, I, I can, we're jumping around a little bit. We're talking about the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. It's a German expressionist film, literally known as the prime example of German Expressionism from 1921. This movie is supposed to, is allegedly considered by many people to be the first horror film and set the tone for everything that came after it. It paved the way for Nosferatu. Um, I think Metropolis is another one. Just yes, all these Metropolis. films. Yeah, all the, the films. The Man like, Who Laughs. The Man um, Who Laughs. Yeah, everything that came after it. So... This is this is a bit this is a big one like historically speaking this is a, uh, a a film that has done a lot for the genre. That being said, it is a very if you look up the synopsis to this movie, it's one line very simple. It's hypnotist Dr. Caligari uses a somnambulist Caesar to commit murders. That's it. Very very basic. Um it's a silent film. It's got great music. You can actually watch the uh, 4K restored version on Shudder right now. It's 74 minutes long, and it doesn't feel like it. We watched and we're discussing the 1920 version directed by Robert Robert Wine Vine. I mean, Vine. Yeah, Vine Vine Vine. Probably. I okay. I will also preface this by saying I don't speak German, so I profusely apologize for everything I mispronounce because I'm an un- I'm uncultured swine. I don't speak German. I'm so, so I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. No, no, you're you are you are gonna be my sensei for this episode. I'm very excited because like you do have a very uh, deep background in film history and uh, I looking back on my background. Yeah, it was a film studies major. It, it's yeah. I love it. No, no, I want this to be like a, a deep dive 
so far into the paint, like, treatise of, like, German expressive cinema and, like, and post-war uh, rhetoric and, and all this other analytical stuff I read up, but I, I, I think you are going to be much better at explaining it and, and um, expanding on, upon it. I'm going to yeah. try. But, uh, yeah, so again, uh, Robert Vine, because, you know, W's or V's, um, this was also written by Carl Mayer, Hans Janowitz, uh, starring Werner Klaus, or Kra- I'm sorry, Werner Kraus, Conrad Veidt, which I know because like because I, on Coach of Swine, uh, the 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 visual look of the Joker, uh, from the Man Who Laughs was based on Conrad's uh, performance. Uh, Frederick Feher, Lil Dagover, Hans Heinz V. Fardowski, and Rudolf Leninger. This movie was released February 26, uh, 1920, um, and uh, this had a budget of $12,371, so what's that accounting for inflation? What, like at least $100,000, $200,000? I mean, it seems like a lot of money back then. It's a lot of money back then, not a lot of not a lot of money now. Like that would not be considered low budget, but so in case you don't know, someone bullist is someone who sleepwalks. Very very simple. Chris and I always make it a habit, not a habit necessarily, but apart from the fact that we just love horror movies, which is again how all of this got started, we always end up discussing a lot like off the show and we bring it to the show we always end up talking about the movies that we're watching our next episode is malignant you'll hear a lot about (laughs) our (laughs) our other conversations outside of the podcast that we had that again like we brought to it because you know chris calls them hot takes but like while we're sitting there talking about it it's it's sometimes uh some of the more interesting opinions that we like bring to the podcast that being said when i rewatched it's been a very long time since i've watched the cabinet of dr caligari and i know that we both watched it at the same time quite by accident we didn't say a word to each other throughout this and i think on my i know on my part was i was stuck on enjoying something that i haven't seen in a very long time but i also get very nervous whenever i've seen something that is a part of like my history as a fan that Chris hasn't seen. I get very nervous because I don't. I want. I want Chris to enjoy it, but I always get the feeling, <laughs> which is why I'm very nervous when we start getting into Italian horror. Like I don't want Chris to hate it. I'm very nervous. I'm very scared. <laughs> and, and also, I'm a bit of a wild card. Yes. Like sometimes you can't. You can't trust my rubric. Like. Like you, I like a film that you clearly don't like, uh, you know, bearing the lead for Malignant. For uh, yeah. <laughs> there, there's also a movie like, you know, not too long ago. Um, I mean, it's grown on me, it's grown on me a little bit, but you know, you love X, uh, from our previous episode and I wasn't, I didn't have as lukewarm reception of it. Um, and I don't know, I, I guess it's also plays into the type of environment and setting where I'm consuming the film. So I know one of the reasons why we didn't talk about Caligari was because I was, I started watching it like one o'clock in the morning. Oh my God, Chris. (laughs) And your one o'clock in the morning is what? Two hours behind my one o'clock in the morning. I was dead asleep. (laughs) Yes. I was dead asleep. Uh, (laughs) Actually, your brain might be the best brain for this then because you watched a German expressionist movie at one o'clock in the morning while you were sleep deprived. So like, I I need your hot takes on this more than you need mine. (laughs) I I, I honestly feel like it's like the quote unquote ideal. I mean, like, you know, sleep deprivation, insomnia, it it sucks, but we're vampires. So can't, can't do much about that. But I was genuinely enraptured by the film like I, I know there's a lot of legacy behind this film like it, it it's like the first Toro film and it's considered like the first cult classic film and the and like a precursor or a progenitor to art house films which um you know in 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 
horror nowadays, you know, a, there's there's a lot more horror now in like the last like five to ten years are are, are taking this more uh, art house, artistic sort of like treating horror seriously as a genre, as a convention kind of movement. Um, and I, w- my my overall thoughts was. This is a quite a visually striking film, and I, you know that's it's it's a silent film, so you it has to bring more power, more pedal to the metal on the visuals. But like, I, I beyond that, like I was so enamored because this film speaks to my sensibilities of like this dark, twisted visual style where like. The, the sets are so beautifully crafted and they're so bizarre. They're done like in these weird angles, like almost like non-Euclidean, like nonsensical geometry. And it, it, it creates a sense of, of an unreliable narrator and you questioning reality. Uh, the said time is, is also presenting it as a sort of dreamlike, fairytale-like setting. You know, I, I was reminded a lot of like like mo- much more modern m- movies that are apt to do this like Tim Burton films like like you know, like the set designs of Tim Burton's films where like th- things are out of place but it that's not an issue cuz it's it's trying it's trying to create a specific immersive environment and it, and it exude a specific type of feeling and i really got that feeling of like this this world is so the the world of Caligari is so strange and so real and like y- you make it makes you question, like, is this real? Is this, is, is the narrator crazy, or, uh, or, or are they being gaslit, or what's going on? That also plays into the narrative because this story, you know, spoilers, is a frame narrative. So it starts at the beginning of the end, and most of the film is flashback, um, and that's where you can get like the sort of how accurate is this story and the fact that the most of the movies the recollection can speak unto the weird shapes and of the shapes and the design and like and like even how the people act in like this very strange dreamlike um uh uh performance or 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 uh i guess i guess i'm i'm drawing a blank um and then th- th- that which also leads into like the twist ending uh, which I don't think at this time there's been anything like it, uh, at least on film. I mean, Rai, you can you could step in and debate me on that. I I don't I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that this movie did a lot of things that hadn't been seen before, and I think that that's why it takes the place in history that it does. But again, like a lot of the I've definitely seen the comparison of Tim Burton and German Expressionism and the way he does certain things in his movies, which I love that you were just like, oh yeah, this reminds me of Tim, like Tim Burton could be considered like, some of his movies could be considered like a modern equivalent to German Expressionism. I don't think that's an accident. Oddly enough, I never studied that in film class, but that would have been a hell of an interesting class to study all of that. Oh my God, somebody, if if there's a, there's a class out there that that exists like that. I'd love to take it or just audit it because <laughs> just for funsies cuz that is an interesting parallel. Most definitely. I think especially with like Edward Scissorhands, you can sort of you can sort of see those elements or even Nightmare Before Christmas, you can again see those elements. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of what kind of visual cues like I, i'm thinking like now i'm thinking about like batman returns like the penguin looks a lot like dr caligari uh, <laughs> <laughs> um uh, uh edward scissorhands like the inside of the mansion like they have a lot of similarities to like the the winding curving sets of caligari especially when Cesare's like traveling up they're traveling across the rooftops of certain buildings i'm blanking on what other visual cues but i i can't really narrow it down to like one particular tim burton film but like i just the general vibe i get is like this seems very tim burton-esque and i don't know is is there any other directors uh that's come to mind because like uh, obviously caligari is such a huge 
impactful film and like there has to be more than Tim Burton that would be influenced by it. It's impactful not just because of what it did for the genre and for the other directors like sort of after it that sort of took note from it but it's how it's sort of and this is where I'm going to sound super pretentious and I really I'm not it's just again film school. (laughs) right they like they drilled this shit in your head when you had to like take tests and shit like that like what was what was german expressionism and when you watch it in film like the way my film history teachers made us look at it was through the lens of the, the culture that you're watching it through so it wasn't as it relates necessarily to films now it was always How is it relating to what was going on when it was made then? Because that's the way you have to look at it. And that's why it's impactful. And that's why it did this, that, and whatever. So, you know, like, yes, I totally see the parallels with Tim Burton. And I totally see the parallels with Nosferatu when you watch certain scenes and stuff like that. Metropolis, all of those things, they definitely took from German Expressionism. They definitely took from this. And I get it. Yeah. Uh, So, uncultured question, especially... (laughs) For for me mostly, but just in case I I also want to preface I'm not an expert, okay? I'm not. I swear. <laughs> I'm not. No, you're 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 own it. Own it this episode. You're the expert this episode. <laughs> uh, especially for especially for me, but any for any dreadful horror listening who might not have that background or maybe they're really new to movies, like what is like the core tenets of German expressionism? And like tied into that, the uh, from what I read, this movie has a lot of themes about like anti authoritarianism against like it was like a reaction to the German po- uh, state of politics at the at the time. Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen this broken down a couple of different ways. Uh, a lot of it comes back to the socio political to like what was going on both socially and politically in Germany at the time. The biggest thing is that it was like a reaction to German life and Germans uh, after World War One. Um, but going back to your not uncultured question, and again, I'm going to preface, I'm going to say this like, I should put a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode. I'm not a pretentious dill hole and I'm not an expert. I just, <laughs> I had to write a lot of papers on this movie because it was in literally every single one of my film studies classes. <laughs> well, Right, right, right. Was that is that a dissertation on the wall? I see. Oh. No, stop it! Oh my god, no! I did not write a dissertation. First of all, first of all, first of all, I okay. Real talk. My last year of college, you basically had to write a like twenty some odd page paper on, and my my teacher lets pick whatever you want. So I wrote a paper on the homoeroticism of vampire movies. Oh shit, yo. <laughs> I want to read that. Please send it over so to me. That that was my paper. <laughs> Can I we do a whole episode about that now? And like, yeah, I need if it. If I find my paper again, I did Amazing. not write I did not write a dissertation on the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. I wrote on the homoeroticism of vampires. <laughs> 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 Amazing. So that was my final paper, and I was really fucking proud of it too. I, I'm sure, like, the, the, I'm sure you talked about Anne Rice and Lestat. I did. I, I definitely brought it around to Neil Jordan, and because we had also watched The Crying Game, and there was a whole yeah, I did a whole thing. Okay, I love that we, paper. You, you know, we're we're a bit we're a bit late. We missed World Dracula Day. We did, but we are absolutely going to cover we, the we TV need to do show. This now. <laughs> no, we're gonna cover we're gonna cover the TV show because I'm stoked that it's coming out. Anyway, to Chris's question, like key elements of German expressionism and things like that. So basically, German expressionism was uh, an early 20th century art movement in Germany, and it was meant to emphasize what the artist was feeling like internally or by replicating his, their own reality. And this is characterized by heavy atmosphere, very long like shadow effects, which is why everything looks very like dark and bold and exaggerated. Um, everything was more artificial sets. And this is all over Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Artificial sets with realistic details, but with these like long brush strokes and details that sort of sit in your mind but also simultaneously stir emotion camera and light that 
are set in weird and unexpected angles that sort of give you this different perspective that you wouldn't think work but but do. It's simplified shapes, but again, everything with those big brush strokes or gestural marks that sort of are your key components. And it's all over the set for Dr. Caligari. All over it. It's it's on the door hinge. You can see where they painted over the door of the trailer to sort of over-exaggerate the length and the height of the door and um, to create the shadows to... Even in the makeup that these people have on their faces, everything is big eyes and over-exaggerated, but it sort of has the opposite, like the Tim Burton effect. So when you want to make your eye... And this is just like... This is a general like makeup tip. When you want to make your eyes look bigger... That's why they put white uh, white eyeliner, like in your waterliner underneath. It makes your eyes look bigger. gives you that big doll-like appearance. But when you want to make your eyes look smaller, you put dark colors all around it. So Caesar is part of the reason why he stirs such a frightening image is because everything around him is so dark. But when he stares directly into the camera, there is something very off-putting about that. And there was something very off-putting about Germany's situation at the time. And how everyone was feeling about everything. So you're meant to feel uneasy and sort of confused by all of this because that was that was part of it. That's a wonderful explanation. I I, I definitely I definitely felt and that ex experienced what you were saying during the viewing. I, I will say I wasn't as scared or or, or intimidated by Cesar, but like, but Dr. Caligari though. Like his actor and his makeup job was like he is he is legitimately unsettling, uh, and and that's also way like accented way more at the end of the movie where he's like normal. He's like the, like like we were we we see that in the twist ending spoilers um, that the director was actually sane all along and. Uh, uh, and, he, and like in terms of the makeup job, you don't see like these crazy like circles on a bag under his eye. It doesn't look as manic. It looks like fairly clean cut. And that Francis has been the crazy guy the entire source of the movie. So the, that and it's like, oh, OK. Uh, but like but like you like just color Gary for the most of the film played by uh, Werner Krauss, just the way he emotes and like the way that like. You, ha I guess you have to. Well, I guess I guess it's, it's a byproduct of, of both like the film school they they're from, but also it's a silent film, so emoting on camera is way more important. And like the and just anytime Caligari was on the scene and just just a close up on his face, and it's just it's just deeply unsettling in the greatest way p possible. Oh yeah, I mean I should also point out we are specifically talking about German expressionism in film. Film is not the only place it exists. It exists in art, photography, dance, literature, poetry, literally anything that you can think of it, ex it exists in. But we are literally only talking about its re relevance as it relates to Caligari, meaning on film. So I'm not intentionally leaving anything out, but this is not this isn't like a class or any, like a, we're not in history class right now. We're only talking about it as it pertains to film because we are at the end of the day, we're still a horror movie podcast. So we're talking about it as it like relates to all of that. Now, if you send it to our Patreon and you want an actual history class by ah! about German expressionism <laughs> and how it ties to no! pulp, pulp and horror films, then go on over to patreon.com leffordred we don't actually have it yet <laughs> we don't act don't do that we don't have that yet don't, don't do, chris don't, don't tell us to do that <laughs> don't, don't don't tease the, the the dreadfuls no don't do it but so essentially the the goal of all of this was to sort of manipulate the audience and manipulate the feelings that you're feelings the way that they're expressed so mainly Post-World War One, people were sort of in this state of fear, despair, uh, constant turmoil, and they were sort of upended um, and confused by the what what effects that World War One was going to have on them. So, a lot of people, you like most artists do, they use their medium to express how they're feeling, 
And that's where German expressionism sort of came in. The irregularity of everything that's used in this movie is meant to show you how everything is warped and twisted. And it's that version of the world that these people are seeing and living in. And that's why it looks like that. I, I love how like this film and like, you know, German expression as a, a, on a macro perspective is like a, in a way, like a, a reaction to the trauma of post World War One, and you see, so you, you see this like on the macro level, but even even on the individual level, like you know, there's a, a like a a macabre piece of trivia. Uh, but the one of the writers, Hans Janowitz, Janowitz, uh, he claims like one of the inciting incidents or inspirations for this film was he was at a carnival one day. And he saw a strange man lurking in the shadows. Uh, and he saw like a strange man like enter the bushes or the forest with some young lady. And he never saw her again. And then the next day he heard that the girl was brutally murdered there at the carnival. Uh, he went to the funeral and saw the same man lurking around. Now there, was, there wasn't any proof that this guy was the murderer. But he claims to see this lady go off with this strange man. And like the, the the strange man was like the last person seen with her, um, but that kind of feeds into the idea of or it was one of the inspiring stories that conceived the film, which I found really interesting. It's like there's both trauma at the individual and the like societal macro level. Oh yeah, I've seen this movie sort of broken down into a couple of different ways. Um, the biggest one I think you've already mentioned which was that it is deeply uh, rooted into the nature of authority um, as this like overpowering and domineering thing. But the other thing, and like apart from, you know, comparing and contrasting being sane to insane and because it's told from the perspective of a patient, the other side of this is you can also see it through using the doctor from Dr. Caligari as representing high society of Germany and the government during World War One, versus Caesar, who is supposed to represent the common man, a.k.a. like the soldier who was hypnotized by what the government was feeding them and conditioned to kill other people by going to war. So it all sort of like, it, it connects with one another, but, you know... The only real way to see how this was focused on and welcomed would be to go back to 1920s Germany and, like, go watch it with the people who are, had just experienced all this. And, like, we can't do that. We, we're, I mean, we can sort of see it through the lens of history, but we're also American. So, like, we couldn't possibly, we can, we can, on paper, we can understand it. But I don't think we can emotionally connect with this as much as the people did when as much as the German people did when this came out. Yeah. And I think that that brings a whole other level to this that I I could never get into for a, a multitude of reasons. But that's what also makes it so fucking great. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I felt the same way. Like, I, I knew going to this film that the, I was just, like, just reading, like, some preliminary notes uh, before starting up the film just to, like be cognizant of what I should be looking out for. Uh, and, you know, again, like anti-authoritism, anti-military, anti-war, um, all like the, this residual trauma of, 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 a, of, a, of a country torn apart and ruled in a way by like tyranny and war uh, um, and like the oppression of the common man under these such massive oppressive forces. But like when watching the film, not not having that cultural context, that cultural background, like I felt disconnect from those themes. Like it, it was probably it was really hard for me to like really parse out like the deeper meaning. But at the same time, like knowing that it exists, it still made the watch really fascinating to try to like piece together. Oh, so the psychiatrist, uh, or, or, or like, Oh, Dr. Caligari, he's, he's, he's based on the psych psychiatrist of, um, of Carl Mayer who 
who's one of the writers of the film, and the Caligari's uh, depiction is based on this military psychiatrist um, who basically like ha- harassed him because he because w- Carl Mayo was anti-war. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense why Caligari is so creepy and foreboding and unsettling. And I, it didn't t- not having that cultural language that vocabulary it didn't take it away it just made me more intrigued and more curious about you know how it all came together because this movie is like over 100 years old and it it is a time capsule to specific time place uh, in history and society and politics oh yeah and think about think about the fact that this thing was made a hundred years ago and we can still talk about it and you can still see the effects that it has had on horror films and film history in general. I mean, I I know you mentioned Tim Burton because it is, first of all, the most visually perfect parallel to German Expressionism. But I did actually find, since you mentioned it and nothing else was coming to mind, I did look it up. And one of the other things that have been said to sort of uh, compare to that is Batman, I think you were right, it was Batman... Batman Returns, Edward Scissorhands, Dark City, The Crow. Oh, uh, The Crow. Yeah, you're right. You're totally right. The Golem from 1927. Like, all of these things were influenced and sort of used German Expressionism as like an as like inspiration to, you know, achieve the things that they did. So it, there's a reason why we can still talk about it. Now, we can't necessarily, like, relate to... I think there is a... The... the, the the basic aspects of, of it, I think, that we can relate to in the sense that it's it was done as a response to what the people were living through. They had this duality and this dichotomy that they were trying to parse through. And whether it, it was as simple as being good or bad, being sane or insane, and then taking it a step further to being dead or alive or awake or asleep, if you're being portrayed as Cesar or you know the the light in the dark of the shadows or the lighting or everything like that it's all about the perception your perception of the reality that is around you and about twisting it and how there are two sides of it because I'm sure the German people didn't appreciate World War One and I say appreciate they were devastated by it but on the other hand I'm sure they're German government, I'm sure, got something out of it. Just like our government, when you watch us go to war with another country, we're countries suffer the after effects of all of this. And you're left with these, your people are left to sort of pick up the pieces of their lives and like try to figure out how to function. But your government is already moving on to the next thing. So think about how that, in that respect, we can sort of understand what they're showing you on screen, but the emotion behind it. I mean, maybe now because of all the shit that we have going on, but I, as a film student, I couldn't really like emotionally relate to it on that level, but I could empathize with it. Yeah, I, I'm curious because like, you know, from from what you're talking about with your film school experience with this, it, you know, it's you were looking at this from the context or from the perspective of what the German people, the German society would view this as. I'm curious, like, you know, whether on this rewatch or previous ones, was there, when when watching this film, is there like some sort of take back or, ta- or I'm sorry, was there some sort of takeaway from a different school thought? Like what, what are we, are, are we like post-modernism or post-postmodernism? I think we're still in postmodernism. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But is there is there like is something like a modern take or modern philosophy entrenched in like let's say American society because we're we're both American like that you take away that you found that resonated you with this film? I think the thing that still resonates that resonates even more so now than when I watched it in class is the duality of everything and the effects of, like I just said, you know, being a citizen versus the government, essentially. And how the biggest thing was how all of this uh, challenges authority and the power that the the authority, whatever it is, whether it's cops, the government, what have you, um, you want to talk about being able to sort of relate to the fear 
of ha- of a- that authority has over you. We touch a little bit on this in Malignant for a different reason, but women's bodily autonomy is in trouble right now. That right there, that, that I can, watching it now with everything with that going on, I totally understand that. And that strikes a nerve. That hits with me. But when I was watching this in class, I was watching it more clinically than that. There was no, I'll be honest, I wasn't like emotionally charged by any of it. I was uh, wowed by it. Because again, I was watching it very, I say clinical because I was watching it through a, a lens of history. And I had one, I was in a classroom. I had one teacher that would stop it and would, this was an, actually, this I think was in my avant-garde film class. <laughs> avant-garde film class holy shit let's go i watched Hell i watched yeah. a lot of weird fucking movies all right and there's one there okay there's one that i will tell you about off the podcast that i hope no one ever has to watch ever again because it was not fun I, he paused the movie and on because he would project it onto the whiteboard and he like traced the shapes of the set so when we were done watching it we could like you were left with just the shapes on the board and like he wanted that to inspire a conversation so like that's the shit that I had to like think about so there was no I was completely emotionally detached from watching all this so like rewatching it now I think brought up a different response which again a hundred years later the fact that you can still find other things it's art, baby. It's art. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. You said that. Yeah. yeah. But that's why I think it's still such a powerhouse of a movie. And, you know, I've had people say that they don't like watching foreign horror because they don't like to read subtitles. I hate that. Read subtitles, damn you. <laughs> I, I got news for you, man. You You wouldn't be able to sit through this movie then because it's silent. You have to watch it. Otherwise, you're going to miss everything. You're missing out on so much. I also want to say that in a 74-minute movie, this was a movie in six acts, which I love that that's how they broke it down. <laughs> it's very good. It, like, it, 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 it paces, it, like, each act was, like, 15 to 20 minutes. Which, oddly enough, we never, we never touched on the fact that it was a six-act structure because that never fucking occurred to us. We just talked about everything else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but it, it, it like structures and organizes the 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 movie pretty well, and like acts one and six, you know, are like the framing devices, and like the majority of the film takes place. It gives you a minute to sit there and process your thoughts and process what you just watched before moving on to something else, because it sits on the title card for like a hot minute before it switches. And, and most of the acts end on a cliffhanger, like a mini cliffhanger. It's like, oh, okay, it builds suspense and tension. I love it. And can I just say how like obviously this this movie is beautiful but i love the title cards and like the like the just like like like, like the weird like the weird trippy green hand drawn quality yeah the hand drawn backgrounds and like the 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 jagged green text for all, like all the dialogue and like, it's like oh it's so cool it's why it's such a state do you know anything about like no i don't know i don't shit about title cards i just assumed that the writing was over exaggerated just like everything else because it's that was just the assumption i made again like there are things that we never talked about and there are things that we talked way too much about and the shapes and the lighting of the set was i I remember was the biggest part of all of our conversations. Um, I think I remember one person mentioned that the writing mimicked it, but I remember the teacher acknowledged it, said it was a good point and like moved on. I'm happy we revisited this though, because like I said, it had been a minute. I know what it's it's symbolizing for 1920s Germany. The fact that there are things that I can look at and go, well, fuck, I wish someone would make a horror movie. That's not The Handmaid's Tale, even though we already, because we've already had that. Um, but that's as close as we're going to get right now, I think, <laughs> to what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, I- I'm curious, like, so this movie, uh, it's like 102 years old. It's still amazing. And, you know, they're still teaching it in film class. Yeah, I hope they're still covering this in, in, in class. Like, when I went to college, so you took, like, history, there was, like, film studies, then there was film history, like, part one and two. I took an avant-garde class, but then there were classes that were focused on certain aspects of cinema that were, like, isolated to one country. So there was Asian cinema, there was Middle Eastern, there was Germany, and then there was French. And I could not get into Germany. Darn. 
because that glass was full. And I can promise you that they probably covered this movie again. Instead, I took Middle Eastern cinema, which was a totally different animal that I don't, I don't remember really anything about. There was this, there's this one movie that I remember every now and again, but I can't remember the name of it, which makes me mad. So that's, that's the kind of, so yes. So I've said this before, like we looked at it very clinically. We looked at it in terms of like, film history and then in other classes it was how would you translate this if you were doing it and you know like film this and like recreate this shit and whatever you know like uh, no one really got emotional with any of this the way you could now do you think the writers and the directors knew at the time what they're making or they were just like we just want to express our feelings I, th I think it was made purely as a reaction to how they were feeling I think that they were like we need to get this out and Honestly, fucking respect. A, respect to, you know, the fact that someone had the balls to pick this up. Because, like, you... Obviously, the distribution company knew what this was supposed to be. So, I, you know, imagine if it never got picked up. We never would have had this. Which means I don't think Nosferatu gets made. I don't think Metropolis gets made. Entire generation, entire school film, just poof. Gone. And then you don't get to see, you don't, I mean, I'm sure we would have seen it through art, but it's when you stand in a museum or you stand staring at a piece of artwork, yes, it can resonate with you. Sometimes it's a little bit harder to revisit a painting. With this, you can like revisit and revisit that pain and revisit all that fear and that turmoil that was, that, was clearly going on because it was captured on film. And I think that that's, it's a different quality. And I think that that's fucking incredible. That's why I love movies. Uh, yeah, exactly. And we, have, and we have to give a shout out. Cause like, I, I think uh, with this version, like there are certain parts that were destroyed that had to be restored or recovered. And like, I know for the longest while there, there were, there were no copies of the original script. Uh, by now, I think, I know there's a script that's publicly available or probably ma was made available. But, uh, but I, 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 I also appreciate that, you know, this is a preservation of history that, you know, can be immortalized. Cause like now I, I watched it on a streaming platform and I'm sure this movie's out in like a billion formats, like DVD, Blu-ray, Laserdisc, VHS. So at the beginning of the version on Shudder, they tell you how they piece the film back together. And I thought one of us was gonna bring this up. So I took a picture of it. The 4K restoration was created by the Frederick Wilhelm Murnau Stiftung in Weissbaden from the original camera negative held at the Bunders Archive Film Archive in Berlin. The first reel of the camera negative is missing and was completed from different prints. Jump cuts and missing frames in 67 shots were completed by different prints. A German distribution print is not existing. Basis for the colors were two nitrate prints from Latin America, which represent the earliest surviving prints. They are today at the Film Museum Dusseldorf and the Cineteca de Bologna. I don't speak Spanish either. The inner titles were resumed from the flash titles in the camera negative and a 16 millimeter print from 1935 from the Deutsche, Deutsche Kinematik Museum for Film. Okay, that's all German. I can't read that. Um, <laughs> the, the digital restoration was carried out uh, by the... That's an Italian. I can't read that either. By an Italian film conservation and restoration in Bologna. So, yes. A lot of fucking effort went into restoring this movie. It is a true piece of history. You know, that's literally how we're having uh, this conversation right now. I would be very curious to know what... Like 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 a, a film student, a film student right now, like age eighteen to twenty one, we think about it, and what we'll think about it in like the next fifty years, because like I find it really interesting that you you applied like the 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 general tone and feeling of trauma of oppression, um, and the reaction, the re reactionary pushback that this film represents as a, a sample of like of a modern take or modern takeaway, you could say the same thing about like the spread of information, um, you know. Or the spread of misinformation even. Mis or misinformation, yeah. Like the unreliable narration, the, the altered sense of perception of what is real and what, what is true and what is not true and not the actual 
objective quote unquote reality that we can perceive and then you have these oppressive forces you have like uh vested actors covid deniers <laughs> yeah 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 exactly you have like these vested interest groups lobbyists corporations incels yeah like all all those who are like create a cacophony of voices that just distort reality and like you know like fake news is a thing because misinformation's been going on for so long and it's so easy for a tool like the internet to like just to be abused like that yeah to take something and completely snowball it to tap into the insecurity and fear that people feel but don't necessarily want validated they take that and they validate it with misinformation and there you have turmoil internally. And we have that going on now. We've had that going on for the past two years. And it's been magnified a lot in the past, I'll say, even five years. And it's scary to watch. Yeah. I don't know if I necessarily, because we're living in it right now, I don't necessarily know if I want to watch someone's visual response to it. Because it's that's too, that's too fucking real. But... I'm sure it was too real to 1920s Germany, and yet this resonated so well with people. I, I'm assuming. I don't actually know the answer to that. Hashtag too real. Like, I, I'm, thi I, I'm thinking about it right now, like, just the fact about, like, you know, Cesare or Caesar, the representing the common man who's a sleepwalker. Completely not in control of himself. Yeah. Is a puppet to a madman. Mm-hmm. Think about how they used to, even even going back as far as the Uncle Sam wants you posters, think about how that they framed all of that. And I'm not saying there are people that, that are like that today, but like the idea of being a tool or being a puppet for somebody else and being told what to do, how to act, how to be like all of that. That is all seen in Caesar, and it's such a powerful image. It's so, uh, it's so good. Wait, when you take it, think about it in like our modern age, the information age, like you have people who are blind followers, or you know, like, you know, people who don't use critical reasoning or analysis to make their form opinions. They just follow whatever the biggest voice there is in the room, or they follow the rest of the crowd, and. Uh, and then, yeah, I think I, I I think that's like the most resonant thing I take away from this from a monitor perspective is how the truth or like or truth or like uh, what what was that crazy term like some some news or news anchor he would say we're not lying it's like alternative facts or like some as like oh no that's that's bad and like I I get I'm getting a lot of that from this movie it's damaging and again you know the idea that this was a response to the challenge of authority and the power that it has over you we can absolutely relate to that right now yeah gosh and i think it's why this movie is still relevant and still effective just in a different way and i think i'm not saying that you have to appreciate this movie to appreciate what you have now but watching that and knowing that there are parts of it that still hold relevance to what we're dealing with now, it's kind of saddening in a way because it means that not... Things have changed, obviously, since the 1920s. But the fact that there is still a duality amongst people in terms of the fear of authority and the fact that we are still struggling with what's, what's real and what's not. Have we advanced as a society... In a hundred years, I guess not. <laughs> we haven't really. No, think think about it though. We just we just talked about all this other stuff that has happened in the past five years that would show that we have not changed that part of us, and that is scary. I did not mean for this that to is be the a true political. Horror. I didn't, right, but it is though. It is the true horror of like human nature. I mean, I did not want this to be a political thing. I knew that this was going to happen when you talk about a movie like this. But that is the fucking reality that we are dealing with right now. But also, also this film is inherently pr political too. Like from from its from the its inceptions, it's a reaction to like anti-war sentiments anti like uh, like totalitarianism and tyranny and i don't know when words don't speak truth make art i think that that is 
one of the more gorgeous aspects of all of this. It's 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 why we're still talking about it. It's why I hope that this movie is still being shown in any film history class, in any film class. Talk about it through as many lenses as you possibly can because I think that there is a lot to be learned and talked about, especially now. Like, I wish I could say that we've moved past all of that. We haven't. And the fact that it still holds that kind of power of resonance over over a modern audience. I don't think a 1920s German director ever thought that it would have that kind of power. Which is interesting, again, because it was made as a response to like anti-authority. The fact that that film, that this film has like that much power over an audience, I think is also very, is an interesting duality of the movie itself. It's powerful. Powerful stuff. Hashtag too real. This got really deep. That's, that's, the, uh, you know, again, did not intend for it to turn out to be that kind of episode, but that's what this is. And I think that that's why it's important to sort of look back at these older movies because there's a reason why they still stand out. And it's not just about the content. It's not always just about the content. It's about, you know, the background of everything. Not every episode we do is going to be like this. I promise. It's just this movie. Yeah, this movie has a lot of weight. I, I think it's a nice change of pace. I mean, like, we, we recorded another episode. You, you'll find out after this episode. But Malignant, we just... Malignant was special. Kind of trashed on it for like an hour. So For for episode 100, we decided to do something different, clearly. Yeah. Uh, this episode, we're, 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 we're putting on our thinking caps and our glasses. I like it. I like it. But uh, any last thoughts and uh, your official rating? I will forever and always give this movie a 5 out of 5, an 8 out of 8 to 10, no matter what your scale is, because of how much it stands out just in history and how much it has impacted me now as an adult versus the way I looked at it in college. Like, this gave me a chance to think about how I watched it in college, which I haven't done in... I'm not going to say how long it's been since I've graduated college, but it's been a bit. Ten years. Uh, <laughs> shut up, Chris. <laughs> but, it's, been, it's been a while. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while. And it, it, it gave me like an, uh, not like a gift, but it gave me another opportunity to look at this again uh, after not having touched it for a very long time. So I, I, I'm very pleased with this. So I give this like, five out of five Caesars because it yeah I, I I don't I can't say enough I can't trash this movie I can't mm-hmm. yeah I agree I'll give it five out of five cabinets uh it's just, it's just <laughs> which this... by the way can we just on a light note just to have some like levity in the situation can we talk about how his quote-unquote cabinet is actually a coffin yeah it's just a coffin as a coffin that <laughs> serves as a bench and a coffee table and a and I'm one of those sleeping pods. <laughs> so, uh, I, I agree. Like I, uh, th- this being the first time I've seen uh, this movie, it's v- very visually striking. Um, while I don't have like the vocabulary or like the context, you know, I found it. I found it very interesting to to just. I felt like I was back in liberal arts college just watching a film and like analyzing it and and, like knowing somewhat of what the film was about before going in just it was uh even though it was like one o'clock in the morning when i was watching it it was like an engaging experience just like oh okay so i i think that this means this this means that and i'm making connections and um it was just a very enjoyable experience keep in mind everything that i brought to the table for this episode was basic bare minimum like everything was on the surface. It's, I'm not. I'm not. The audience doesn't know that. <laughs> but if this is something that like piqued your interest and you're like, well, I want to dive into this more. Go right the fuck ahead. I don't want to give. First of all, we'd be here for three hours if I gave you all the answers. But also, this like let that scratch that itch in your brain. Then and like go look up. Even go look up some artwork from German Expressionism, some of the other artists that have taken taken inspiration from that movement. 
not, I don't purposely do the bare minimum, but I purposely only did the surface level of everything. A, because I'm not a film history teacher, but B, because you should feel driven to like go find out more and like go do an in-depth reading, go fall down that rabbit hole and then go rewatch the movie and then see how much of a difference it makes to you. I just, you know. You know what, Treffles? You should audit a film, an avant-garde film history class. <laughs> <laughs> My avant-garde film history teacher was in, an interesting man. Um, but I actually want to ask you a question. Seeing this in today, would you recommend this to a modern movie viewer? And would you tell them anything? Like, would you give them any context or would you do it? Or would you tell them to do what you did, which is basically go in blind? I, I, I guess it, like, like okay, I, I guess... Like the average lay person or someone in our in our friend group? Both. Both. The answer for each. Um so uh, as I think of this, I'm I'm thinking of uh Nick Cage and his uh his latest film, uh The Massive Unbearable Weight of Talent. And spoilers, you haven't seen it yet, but like I haven't seen it yet, so I'm not gonna listen to this part. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're not gonna listen to this part. Okay. I'll the the only thing I'll say is Nick Cage, in character, has very strong opinions about the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Uh, Holy shit! Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding. Like it's 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 the the movie. Okay, this is becoming a Nick Cage podcast. Hi, welcome to Uncaged with Chris and Ryan, <laughs> the official Nick Cage podcast. Coming to you. That's gonna be that's gonna be our spinoff on Patreon. Yes, please. It's just only Nick Cage movies. Can we do that? Um, Can we do that? Uh, anyway, so uh, I would do it for you. Yes. yes. Yes, uh, <laughs> uh, but like so, the movie the movie is is both a a lampooning and a celebration of both his uh, the cage is like just unre- uh, undisputable uh, place in cinema, um, and it plays it creates this incredible sandbox, um, and it's it's so meta on so many levels, and you see the Nick Cage of this film is someone who feels like he's in the desert, like he's struggling creatively and, um, you know, um, he's no longer the, the star of the nineties with like face off and con air and, um, national treasures. I'm sorry. You're forgetting about moonstruck, which happened long before. Yeah, exactly. And and, and, and vampires kiss from the seventies. Thank you very much. Chef kiss. Yes. Um, and, and you see, it's a, it's a very, very sort of meta thing where, like, Nick Cage, um, he doesn't see himself as, an, as a star. He sees himself as an actor. Like, he treats it as his job. It, and, and, and he loves the craft of acting. The, you know, it, it's like a, a meta cinema reasoning why he's... It's like lampooning the fact that he's doing so many art house films like Pig and Wallace Wonderland and Mandy and Call Out of Space. Yeah, it's I uh, it's uh yeah, it's like I haven't watched Pig yet, but it's on Hulu and I got Hulu for a dollar because of World Streaming Day, so thank you. Um and then and it's also it's also like uh the movie is also a a an introspective relationship story between two men who just love cinema and just love movies and uh yeah and and so it's so it's it's a one level is like nick cage um you know talking about the greats of cinema um and where his movies lie in that sort of space because some people like me and like like pedro pascal pedro pascal's character who worship the feet on what yeah yes yes and then some other people like oh nick cage he's just he's strange he's weird he's over the top i don't get him and like yeah i love the we super weird over the top shit that he's doing now it's why i loved mandy colorado space willie's wonderland was a piece of fucking art because he doesn't talk for the entire movie and yet does a stellar fucking job i can't wait to watch pig even to, I showed Tom the trailer for Pig. You know, anybody who has heard me mention my husband before knows is notorious for not liking horror movies. And while Pig is not a horror movie, I showed him the trailer and he goes, 
I think I could watch that. And you <gasps> should have seen how fast my head whipped around. <laughs> oh my God. Copyright Tim Tim TM. We have Tom as our first guest <laughs> on our Nick Cage podcast. Let's go. <laughs> For Pink. Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I know. Okay. Please, everyone go out and watch. The un- I want to uh, see it. I want to yes. see it so bad. Please watch it in theaters if you can. Like, it's been out for, like, almost six weeks by now. So I hope it's still in the theater. It, it has to be seen on the big screen. Like, oh, anyway. So that, that was... Why, why, did it, why did I get on that rant? I don't remember because now. <laughs> Because I asked you, uh, would you show Cabinet to anybody? I will film, say film yes. Film fanatic but, or otherwise. <laughs> I would say yes, but I will provide a disclaimer. Like, like you should watch this. Yeah, I should watch this, but you should know this going into it that like X Y Z, like it's a uh, um, um, actually, well, I don't know. I don't want to deprive people of like making their own assumptions or. I I sort of gave you dis not a disclaimer, but I sort of gave you um, oh like a like a a lens, I guess, yeah. to I, look through. I think for me, like I curiously or i i love like like i i i don't want to have like a film background like rye does but i love like dissecting shit with like in regards to, like politics and uh uh sociology and psychology and all this jazz so like i to me i did not mind having like a lens or a filter or a sort of perspective or like like a a, a a primer, let's say a primer going to be, but now, but now that I, I, I gave my first answer. I think, I think I will, I will recommend it and I'll be like, as soon as you watch it, let me know what you think. Cause I, I would be genuinely curious what they would take away on a blank slate. Like I, I, I went into this movie, like I'm very curious what this movie's about. Cause it's so well regarded. Like what is this jazz about? And can I see the spots and the cracks and the the sort of film genetic lineage of what made this so important then into now? But I think I would still recommend it to people. I would just just watch it flat and just let me know what you think. Um, so I can have a conversation like Nick Cage. <laughs> That's the one thing I didn't do with you. I didn't ask you to tell me what you thought because I was too afraid that you were going to be like, yo, this is not for me. But I searched it out. I searched it I was like, what is this movie about? I was like, okay. I got, I got a little gist of it. Okay, it's one o'clock in the morning. Let's plus play. I mean, I just, I just love how simple the IMDb synopsis of it is. It's just a, a sleepwalker. A, a doctor tells a sleepwalker to commit murder. Here you go. Done. Which, yeah. Uh, you peel back everything. That's, yep, that's what the movie's about. <laughs> but it has layers. <laughs> layers. So many layers. Normally I feel stupid and pretentious for saying, well, it has layers. But in this, it does. It really, truly <laughs> does. <laughs> like, again, I don't want <laughs> to sit here. To the German school, right, German I don't want you to picture, I really don't want you to picture me sitting here with like a cigar in one hand and like brandy and a fancy robe in the other hand. Right, thing. where'd like, you get well, the stogie you know. from? It's so huge. Right, like I don't need that kind of, I'm not that level of pretentious. Really, I'm not. It's just, again, like I took film history because I fell in love with uh, a film studies class and I gotta be honest, most of it was to piss off my family. Um, oh. because they wanted me well no i'm not i'm not that is that is that's half true because they wanted me to you know be a journalism major or media and communications and i would just take all these different lit classes. i loved my lit classes too so if it wasn't going to be film it was going to be english um but i took a, a film studies class one one semester and i just kept talking to my parents about all these like awesome movies that we were watching and none of them were recent mm-hmm. and my mother i will never forget this till the day i die my mother said i wish you could find something to be as passionate about as you are about movies and then i found out that i could be a film studies major and i didn't have to so hey, <laughs> i became a film <laughs> i became a film studies major and i watched all these crazy movies some of them modern some of them not most of them not and yeah, I just, between that and the fact that I could watch horror movies on my off time, like, I, you know, I was done. I was done. Would you ever be, like, 
like a film professor at a, I thought at a college. About it. I thought like, about it. I feel like you could pull that off pretty well. But I but see, here's the thing though, is in my time of life, I would only look at horror movies. I wouldn't do film history because oh, okay. I would want it, but I because I don't think that A, there are enough there's enough like focus on horror movies and what they actually do outside you of could the be gore. It. You can do it. <laughs> Outside of the gore and all of that, I don't know. That's which is why I really like Eli Roth's History of Horror. Again, the only issue with that is that it is a a, a cis white male who is narrating the whole thing. But I, there aren't enough ladies in horror, and there just isn't enough on horror as a genre in general about like all the stuff that it brings to the table, you know, and all the right. different things you, you can, can like. You could change it. it all. You could do I'm it. Not going back to school. At, in my thirties to like go be a film teacher, but yes, I I did I did think about it. You're, you're right. You're right. We should we should not we should we the, what, what, that's what, what the podcast the, is for. We're not we're not going, I'm not going back to school in my time of life. What's the what's the the phrase? Those who can't do teach or so we so you know what? Okay, so what we'll do? We'll start our own film company. I know Amber's listening. Don't and- fucking tempt fate, Amber, Chris. I would love Amber, that. If you're listening, we need to get Rye and we need to get some seed monies. And we'll we'll do a heist and then we'll Chris, start our own company. Chris, if we do this, we have to move to LA. Like we can't do I this love- from where we are. Uh, I'm I'm close to close, quote unquote. I I do about I I don't mind moving to LA. We'll and we'll we'll live we'll live in a warehouse so and it will it will be our home slash our studio slash our slash our office. It'll be awesome. It'll keep the cost down and then we can get Nick Cage to do a reading. <laughs> this is all Chris's major plot to just get closer to Nick Cage. Yes. Yes. Uh and also happy a happy 100th episode <laughs> to Left for Dread. You're getting everything here. You're getting hot takes, social political commentary. Uh, and our unbridled yes, chaos. chaos. Nick Cage, uh, avant-garde film treatise and analysis. Thank you so much for listening to 100 episodes. Thank you for being here for 100 episodes. Holy fuck. Uh, On that note, thank you for listening to a 100th episode of Left for Dread. Our amazing new cover art is by Liz Van Hootie. Our intro and outro music is from Pandemic Sound. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Everything helps. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify every other Friday. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. You can find us on Facebook. You can check us out on our website at leftfordread.com. And finally, don't forget to check out our merch at tpublic.com. The link will be in our bio and in the show notes. And... Uh, thank you again for being such lovely, dreadful fans. You're great, uh, and uh, we—it's th- been a wild ride doing a hundred episodes. We started three years ago with our Mother's Day uh, sp- uh, special, and you know we took a little bit of time off because of hiatus, but we're we're back at it. Uh, you know, X just came out last week. You're going to be listening to this right now. Next week, you're going to be looking forward to uh, Malignant, uh, which is... I- which we've dropped that... We yeah, we we talked about that a couple times. That's the next episode. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and again, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being wonderful. Uh, and don't forget... Stay, stay dreadful! I must know everything. I must penetrate the heart of a secret. I must become Caligari! <laughs> <laughs>